We began this evening from reading from the book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter. I'd like to visit one of those verses, verse 2, and make a comment or two as I read through this passage. This one verse. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. The word which is translated people is a word which means all of mankind. Not simply the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but all of humanity. This was revolutionary to think that God would bring light and life into people's lives who were not descendants of Abraham. And the Scripture says, as they walk in darkness, all of a sudden they will see a great light. The word translated see has more to do with seeing with the eyes of one's heart than it does with seeing with these physical eyes. People will understand. People will have insight into the nature of this light and the identity of this light. And then this verse concludes with these words, Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You might be surprised, and you might not, that the word which is translated dark land is the same word which David chose in Psalm 23 when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This word, translated dark land, is the identical word which David had chosen earlier to describe walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The idea is that it's the terror of darkness, really, is the idea. When you put the two words together, the two Hebrew words, it's one of those rare compound Hebrew words, you put them together, you come up with that understanding, the terror of darkness. Have you ever been terrified by the darkness? It is terrifying sometimes, isn't it? I remember when I was coming home for the last few months before I married. And I took occupancy in the room where I had spent a large part of my life. It was upstairs. My younger sister, seven and a half years my junior, also had a room upstairs. It was a winter. And if you've lived in a cold place like I lived in at that time, you know that the boards and the rafters, especially if you have an attic, make some pretty scary sounds at times. And this particular night, I remember, there was a lot of creaking and groaning in the attic. And I thought, this would be a good time to scare my sister. (laughs) So I said, Lisa, did you hear that? And she said timidly, yes, I did. And then all of a sudden, it groaned louder. And I said, Lisa, come in here and get in the bed with me. I'm scared too. We were scared of the dark together. Darkness can be terrifying. It can also be confusing. Darkness can be frustrating to us. I remember when I was taking one math class, and I was always one who struggled with math, had difficulty with it. I remember our teacher was Miss Singleton, and she would have the habit of, after explaining some complicated mathematical formula, she would say this. She'd look at us, and she'd survey the classroom, and she said, Do you see it? Like this. 
Well, I happened to be probably the dumbest person in the class. And I was also probably the proudest person in the class. And I had never got up the nerve to say to her, I don't see it, Miss Singleton. Because I would have been the only one in the class who would have said it because all the others in there were so excellent in math. I was in the dark. There's a different kind of darkness sometimes, isn't there? It's not just physical darkness. Sometimes there's a fog in our own minds due to the darkness in our minds. I think you would agree that ours is a world that is filled with darkness externally and also internally. Within the last week, we have heard and seen pictures of a Tunisian man representing ISIL take a truck and run in to a group of people in a Christmas market in Berlin, killing 12, injuring 56. And as I began to do a little research on terrorism in the world, I found out that at least 120 acts of terrorism have taken place in the last two years. There's a lot of darkness in the world, isn't there? Human trafficking. When I did some research on the matter of human trafficking, what I discovered is a large portion of people who are the subjects, in fact, they're slaves in this human trafficking industry, are children. Can you imagine? Mostly females. Unbelievable. We live in a dark world. The drug underworld. We live in an area which, for years and still to this day, our sister city, what is, is racked with darkness and evil. Early in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah wrote these words. He said, there are people who call evil good and good evil. We might put it this way. There are people who call darkness light and light darkness. There's a lot of external darkness in the world in which we live. But at the same time, there's even more internal darkness. Some of you have experienced it. If you know Christ, there was a time when the Bible says you were darkness. There was this fogginess in your mind. And it also would express itself through just a nonchalance or downright rejection of the person of Jesus Christ. And sometimes... Even when we know Christ, we have darkness. We have wrong attitudes toward people. Or sometimes we have despondency and dread and even depression in our lives. It's estimated that at any one moment in the life of our nation, one out of ten people suffers from real depression. I thought about what is told in the book of Exodus chapter 10 where God told Moses to go to the Pharaoh and tell him that he was going to bring the ninth of the plagues upon Egypt. And that plague would be a darkness, and the way in which he described it is unusual, a darkness which could be felt. Have you ever felt darkness? And the text goes on to say that the people could not see anybody else, and they could not get up from where they were sitting or lying in their homes, and there was no light in any Egyptian home. They couldn't 
see each other, nor could they move. They were immobilized. And I thought, what a clear description of an internal darkness which can be felt. If you've been depressed, you know what I'm talking about. Where you just didn't have what it took to get going. And you only had eyes for yourself. Where normally you would care about other people. Now, what's interesting in that 10th chapter of Exodus is almost as a footnote, Moses writes these words, But there was light in all the dwellings of Israel. Why? Well, the Bible says God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. The Bible says darkness is as light to you, O God. So, we who know the Lord, we're not exempt from melancholy. We're not exempt from depression from time to time. But what we do know is we have the presence of the Lord in our lives. And He's certainly well capable of lifting us up out of the darkness which troubles us. What is the reason, or perhaps what are the reasons for darkness in this world? Well, we have no further to look than to take a look at the one whom we have come to know as Satan or the devil. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world of darkness. And if we go to the book of First John, what we see is the Bible says the whole world lies under the control or in the power of the evil one. He is the prince of darkness, and therefore the world, it's not talking about the physical world, it's talking about the world system, which he is the ruler over. His rulership is one which has been conferred for a while upon him. He's not an independent operator altogether, although he thinks he is. But what we do know is that the Bible teaches us that the God of this world, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they do not understand or have the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This world is a dark world. And it is the domain and dominion, this world system, of the devil himself. Paul writes about him and he says that he masquerades as an angel of light. There's a lot of what goes on in the world today that goes under the guise of religion and even Christianity, which actually is darkness masquerading as light. It would stand to reason that the opposite of angel of light would be angel of darkness. And certain that, certainly that is true of the devil, Satan. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, that people outside of Christ have their minds darkened. And we know who has darkened the minds of people. Well, Satan himself. Some of you know the name H.G. Wells. Uh, the great science fiction writer, some people describe him as the father of science fiction. 
He's known, of course, for the Time Machine and other pieces which he wrote. Four times he was nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature. He never was awarded that prize, but nevertheless, he was highly recognized with his peer group. One of the pieces which he has written is entitled The Country of the Blind. It's a story which is set in Ecuador. It's about an adventurous mountaineer by the name of Nunez. And Nunez was exploring the most prominent peak. It's a fictitious peak. There is no such peak in Ecuador, although there are many high mountains there. But he made it to the precipice of this Peak, And all of a sudden, he loses his footing, and he begins to tumble down the side of the mountain. And he tumbles, and he tumbles, and he tumbles. And as he reaches a stopping point, and he composes himself, he looks around. And he can see signs of life below him. He began to wonder, could this be the legendary country of the blind which I have heard of, it has always seemed just fictitious, but maybe this is it. So as he wound his way down closer to the village, he discovered that there were people there who were moving around and pretty actively and agilely moving around. But as he looked at the houses, there were no windows in the houses, And he began to look at the pathways upon which the people were walking. And there were curbs, pretty high curbs on the pathways. And he said, this is the country of the blind. And there was a little rhyme which came to his mind that he had learned that was associated with the country of the blind. And it went like this. In the country of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And he began to think... This is my lucky day. I'm going to be able to teach these people. I'm going to be able to rule these people. I am going to accomplish what I have always dreamed of. So he began to tell the people there about being able to see. Now the backstory of this condition of total blindness among the people was that when their ancestors generations before had fled Spaniard tyranny and found a place of refuge in this beautiful valley, they could see. But due to a genetic effect or defect, there was this great period after generation and generation, all the people had the defective gene that led to their blindness. And they were blind. There was no one who could see. And so as he began to explain the need to learn how to see and how wonderful seeing was, they just said, you're crazy. We have the senses which we have. You are crazy. He began to try to describe what it was like to see things. And they said, man, you're insane. They assigned him to go to work for a man by the name of Yaakov. He became his servant. Yaakov had a beautiful daughter. Her name was Medina Sorote. And as he did the work there in the home of Yaakov, he soon grew to love this fair maiden. And he built a relationship with her. And he began to tell her about being able to see. And she too had great doubts. In fact, 
she said, it's just your imagination. But as it turned out, she fell in love with him and he asked permission of her father if he could marry her. And her father said, you'll have to ask the elders in the village. So he got an audience with the elders, told them what his wishes were, and they say, you are insane. We cannot bear to listen to this anymore. You may not marry Medina Sarote. Well, he was heartbroken, of course. And then among the elders was the only doctor. And he said to his fellow elders, if we can just remove his eyes, then the source of his insanity will evaporate. They told Nunez what he could do to have the hand of Medina Sorote. He thought it over, and love triumphed. And he was being prepared to have this surgery to remove his eyes. But during the night prior to the surgery, he got cold feet. And he said, I've been told, and it looks like it's true, that no one, once finding himself in this valley, could ever scale the heights from which I fell when I came into it again. But I'm going to try. And so he tried, and lo and behold, he was able to make the escape. There are two versions. This is the first version. And he looked back down and was saddened because the people did not know they were blind People who are spiritually blind don't understand it. The Bible says the natural man, the person without the Spirit of God, does not understand the things of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually appraised. There's probably more than one person here who could stand up and tell how when she or he was not a follower of Jesus, that the gospel of Christ just did not make sense. Anybody here like that? And then all of a sudden, the light came on in your heart and in your mind. And you were able to see the need for Jesus. Now, we can't blame the devil for our sin. He makes it hard for us to see the light. But he does not have the final say in that. If we were to look at Psalm 100. Seven together. In fact, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, two verses, verses 10 and 11. Listen to these verses. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death. This is the same word that is described as dark land earlier. Prisoners in misery and chains because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. It's a miserable place to be. To not be able to see. And so many people, many of us could attest to this, prior to receiving Christ, were such people. And by the grace of God, not because of anything inherently good in us, not because we are superior intellectually. In fact, many, many intellectuals, including H.G. Wells, I might add, rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. They rejected Him. And they would not consider the truth of who Jesus is. And when you study the lives of so many of these great philosophers and authors, and in a sense, Wells was a philosopher too. He had a mission. Their lives 
were very sad in the end and really sad throughout. Well, there is a remedy, though, for the darkness, isn't there? That's what Christmas is all about. This is not all about gloom and doom. There is a remedy. And the remedy is Jesus. He is the light. In the opening remarks of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, verse 4, speaking of Jesus, "...in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it." The word translated comprehend can be interpreted that way. They didn't understand the light. We've just been talking about that. But it also can be interpreted, and by some translations is interpreted, overpower it. The powers of darkness tried to overpower the light of the world, right? But in Him, who was the personification of life, there was life, there was light in Him. In John eight twelve, this is what we hear Jesus say. He says, I am the light of the world. Listen carefully. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. In other words, have me. We won't walk in darkness if we know him as the light of the world. Follow Christ. That's what the Scripture says. And He is the light of the world. And we just follow along in the train of His light. And we find how wonderful it is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me, and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. What a wonderful promise. We who know Christ, we who know Him as the light of the world, we follow Him. And the result is, He gives us His life, and therefore, His light. In Psalm 119, you know this verse, Thy words are a lamp unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. As we follow Jesus, He speaks to us. Not necessarily audibly, but through His Word, He speaks to us. We hear His voice and we respond properly to His voice. And we continue to walk in the light as He Himself is in the light. This command to follow Him is found throughout the Gospels. You may remember when He encountered Peter on the Sea of Galilee. And they had fished all night. Unsuccessfully, Jesus gave a command, just toss your net on the other side of the boat. They thought, but Lord, we have fished all night. You're a carpenter, not a fisherman. He said, just do what I say. They did it, and they had this huge haul of fish. And he came and he fell down before Jesus. He says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Well, we're not only to follow Christ in the remedy process, but we are to share Christ. He has called us to be fishers of people. We're to let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. This is lovely to think about. That Jesus, because we're following in His light, That light shines on us. He's in us. And we become reflectors of His person. And the light of Christ begins to exhibit itself in our lives. We're like the moon 
to the Son as followers of Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.8, we've heard a little bit already how you once were darkness, but now you are children of light and behave accordingly. And as we follow Jesus, we listen to what He says, and we express our love to Him by obeying Him. Wonderful things occur in us and through us, and people's lives are changed. Peter says it this way, he said, God has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And it is marvelous. So that you can declare His excellencies. Sharing Him with people who are in the darkness. And lo and behold, when we let our light shine, many times people's hearts are illuminated they begin to understand the power is not in the individual who is the bearer of the light. The power is in the light itself. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. John the Baptist, one of those great figures in the New Testament and in the Bible for that matter, is described this way in the introduction of the Gospel of John. He said, There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came for a witness that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but He came that He might bear witness of the light. Jesus described Him as someone who burned. And He was talking about internally there was this life and this light that really generated life in other people's lives. We see John, just a man like us, human. And he had a divine assignment and a divine appointment. He was sent and he was appointed by God. Now, I would dare say that's true of you and me if the light is in us, if Jesus is in us. This is our privilege and the Lord has called us to that. If you're here this evening, perhaps you have an absence of understanding. Maybe you haven't understood anything I've said. That could be my fault. But it could be because you never have had the light shine on you so that you could know God through Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have an absence of direction in your life. I know people who have been rendered blind as adults. And they feel lost. The house that they were so familiar with is all of a sudden difficult to navigate. It's because of their blindness. And Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. People outside of Christ are blind. They are lost. There's a sense of no direction. No purpose. There's this screaming from the interior of thinking people's lives who do not know Christ. What is my reason for being? Why am I here? Well, the answer is clear. You're here to give allegiance to Jesus Christ and glory to God. And as you yield yourself to Him, all of a sudden, the absence of direction will dissipate 
and disappear. It'll be gone. Perhaps there's a person here this night who has an absence of peace. To put it rather bluntly, you feel miserable. Well, that stands to reason. We've seen from Psalm 110 and other passages which we've considered this evening that a person who is not following the light is not listening to Christ who is the light and has not turned his or her life over to Jesus. A true story set not too far from El Paso, maybe 140 or so miles from here in Carlsbad Caverns, told by a woman in the 1950s. It was something which she overheard. She was one of a tour group which went down into the depths of that cavernous wonder of the world. Some of you have been there, right? And you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden you get down in there and all the lights go off. Talk about frightening. That's frightening, isn't it? You know it's coming. So the woman tells the story of two people who were among her traveling companions that day. It was a 10-year-old boy, approximately. That was her estimation of his age. And his preschool sister. And no sooner had the lights gone out, he, she began to hear this sniffling. And all of a sudden it was sobbing and then wailing. This little child was scared to death. And then she overheard. She couldn't see them, but they were right beside her. She overheard her big brother say, It's okay, sister. There's somebody down here who knows how to turn on the lights. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ the first Christmas so that the lights would come on. People walking in great darkness will see an even greater light. Would you pray with me? If you have reason to believe that you don't know Christ, tonight would be a great time to begin following Him. His call to you and to me and to all of us is very simple. Follow me. Trust me. And let my light shine on you. Let my life become your life as you trust in me. Forsake your own independence and turn from your own sin and trust Christ. Lord, we pray that if there is someone who fits that description present tonight, that he or she would turn his or her life over to you and become sighted and excited, Lord, about what you've done in his or her life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.